The Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio present Savor 2016, an American craft beer and food experience from Washington, D.C. This salon is from Saturday, June 4th. Beer as Dessert, presented by Elon Clagus Munt from Insight Brewing, Mark Reif from Atwater Brewery, and Dan Sarton from Big Storm Brewery. Welcome. Welcome to your uh, private tasting. One of the most intimate uh, parts of Savor are these evenings together upstairs here. Uh, my name is Julia Herz. I'm the craft beer program director at the Brewers Association who puts on Savor. We've been nine years strong with this amazing intimate event. Um, 2,000 people a night is kind of the other side of the rainbow of Great American Beer Festival, which turns into 60,000 people in Denver in October. Come join us for that. Um, and I want to kind of get out of your way super quick um, and introduce it to our speakers tonight. That's why you're here. But let you know if you guys want to hear the recording for this. This is the, recorded by craftbeerradio.com and will actually be rebroadcast on craftbeer.com after the fact. Um, I'm sure these guys will go with the flow on questions too. So certainly make, treat it like a living room conversation over a few gorgeous beers. And I'm going to introduce it to Andrew from Big Storm who is then going to kind of get into the nitty gritty of what these gentlemen have prepared for us. So welcome to your uh, beer and, and dessert salon. Hello, my name's Andrew. I'm from Big Storm Brewery. We're out of Clearwater, Florida. So I think first we're just going to introduce each of us, and then we'll come back to me, and I'll get started with the first pairing. Uh, we're actually, it's the first time that Big Storm's been at Sabre, and we're just really thrilled to be here, and I can't wait to get started. Hi, everybody. Brad from Atwater in Detroit and Gross Point and soon to be Grand Rapids as well. And we are opening a facility in Texas. Uh, I'll get into that more, I guess, when we're drinking my beer. Um, also, our first year here at Saver. We've been trying for years and years, so really psyched to be here. Thanks. Uh, and my name's Alan, uh, founder of Insight Brewing in Minneapolis. Uh, we've been open for about a year and a half. Uh, this is also our first year at Saver. Uh, this is personally my first time in D.C., so I've done a lot of sightseeing. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, but I'm excited to share beers with you, share experiences. Uh, but I, let's start drinking some beer. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we got the applause, let's go. Um, okay. Well, this is really a small group, so if you have any questions or thoughts, definitely like, wave us down. Don't be shy. I know we have a table dividing us, but it's all right. We'll still talk. So um, I'll start off, introduce my beer, and then we'll sip it together. And then I'll go a little bit about Big Storm Brewery, and then we'll bring in our dessert, and we'll try the dessert and try the beer again. So uh, what I've poured for you today is our Belgian Double. Um, it's got this wonderful aroma of this uh, dark currant, and it's also got subtle hints of nice bubble gum flavor to it as well. That really rounds it off. I know that Belgian Dubles can be a little banana-y forward in the nose, but we definitely uh, want to go with more of a fruit note in the uh, aroma. So, a little bit about Big Storm. We were founded in 2012 by Mike Bishop, who's actually on the floor today manning our booth. And then uh, he started off in a garage, essentially brewing small batches of beer. And then he outgrew that phase, and he bought a 15-barrel brew house. And this brew house was the Igor of brew houses. You had parts stitched from everything you could think of, dairy equipment, just things that just shouldn't be brewing. And then uh, sure enough, we outgrew that. 
and then I came into the picture and I oversaw the installation of our 30-barrel brew house in Clearwater, Florida. So our 30-barrel brew house is a beautiful 30-barrel brew house. It's automated by DME. So it's a huge jump from the manual brewing. We used to have to climb inside the kettle to scoop out the trube, which is essentially uh, the residue from your boil. And we went to the nice automated system, which is just a huge leap. And you can even like brew it from an iPad. Uh, we're almost to the, the point where we just kind of like set the alarm and let it go. But don't tell my boss that. The owner, the owners ask. So the, the programming is amazing. We really like working on it together. Uh, you know, it's just amazing. And so then what happened to our old system, we uh, felt bad because we had this Cadillac of brew houses. So we turned around and redid the old system. And we uh, put, uh, put in a 10-barrel semi-automatic system. And then that does all of our brand development and uh, recipe creation. So that's actually where this beer is from. And the uh, head brewer for that system actually couldn't make it. Uh, that is Joel. So this is actually our other head brewer's uh, brew, Joel. So I've got to give credit when credit's due. He does a phenomenal job. And uh, in fact, he did a, such a good job on this beer and inspired us to do a Belgian series at the brewery. So we have category one through five. So we have a single, double, triple, quad, and quince. And because it is Florida and it's hurricane season, we're calling them cat. One, cat two, cat three, cat four, cat five. Um, and uh, just a side note, the uh, tasting tray it comes on has lights that blink. It looks like a saucer landing at your table. It's pretty awesome. All right, so let's talk about the food. So I've, I actually have yet to try the food. I'm pretty excited. Uh, so far, all the pairings on the floor have been amazing. I'm sure you guys have uh, tried some of them. Mm. So we're tasting our brownie now for those listening to the recording. Mmm, nice. I like that smooth chocolate flavor. Thank you, Brad, for the napkins. All right, now take a sip of the Belgian double. So now the bitterness of that nice, dark, rich chocolate bounces out a little bit of the sweetness of the Belgian double. And it really brings forward some different characters. It really softens the overall intensity of the alcohol. And it really brings out like that dark red currant flavor and a little bit of that clove. It's a very strong pairing, I think. I really enjoy it. Andrew, did you pick this strategic brownie or was it discussed with the chefs? Did you, how, did, how did we come up with this pairing? That's a really good question. I think uh, we kind of let it go a little organically. We uh, sent up some samples, I believe, to our chefs, and then the chefs uh, kind of ran with it. And I feel like they've done such a great job, especially with our beers at our booth. If you've come by the Big Storm booth, uh, booth five, we have Octopus with our uh, Pilsner, which is uh, not for the faint heart. And then we also have a nice curry with our Wave Maker, which is a nice amber. This is a really good job as well. But yeah, that's a really lovely pairing. I think it just, the sweetness and the bitterness really changes the flavor. Uh, completely different tasting experience. All right, any questions from the crowd? You guys are a lively is bunch. Is this Mike Five? Yes, it is. All right, here we go. Anybody got a question? Oh, 
long. I think they're just happy to sit. <laughs> so how many of you guys have made a lap around the floor yet? All right. So you guys are like, what, three or four pairings that you've done? Nice. Good deal. All right. I think I'm going to hand it over to Brad. Uh, if you're ready to go. And we'll move to the second beer now, right? Yes. Hey, everybody. So, uh, Atwater. We're out of Detroit. We are currently the third largest uh, producing brewery in the state of Michigan. We did right around 50,000 barrels last year. Um, we've got, we opened up in 1997. I have obviously not been there that long. I was in high school at that point, um, drinking Labatt Blue and that kind of junk. Uh, um, but I'll wait till everybody uh, gets their glasses rinsed and settles in, I guess. Um, well, that's all right. We'll go with it. Um, so anyway, uh, we, we've been running out of the downtown Detroit production facility since 97. Just under two years ago, we opened up a second location in Gross Point Park, which is less than five miles from the main facility. It's in a, a repurposed church. The brew house is up on the altar. Um, actually, that, that is where, it, that's my playground. I get to have the fun, creative job and make whatever I want, and that's a luxury a lot of brewers don't have. So uh, I'm very thankful for that. Um, so that, our, our main brew house is a 20-barrel Casper Scholes, who is the oldest manufacturer of brew houses in the world. However, it is currently being decommissioned as we speak, so that's also a really exciting to, reason to be here right now, so I'm not a part of that, um, because we are replacing it with a 50-hectoliter Browcon system, which is... 42 barrels, roughly. Um, so that will help us up our production. Um, what I'm running on is a little five hectoliter. It's about four and a third barrels. Since we opened that facility two years ago, four of the, the beers I've come up with there have made it into production, and we're right around in about 30 states at this point. Uh, we will be in D.C. within the year. Uh, just not yet. Um, so everybody has the chocolate ale? Oh, I forgot to tell you, we're, we are also opening another facility similar to the one I'm running out of in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, it's going to have the same 5 hectoliter Browcon there. Obviously, we're their favorite customer. Uh, and then we're doing a, a joint venture with another company slated, I don't know what year, maybe 18, something like that, down in Austin. Uh, so we are growing pretty quick. So this is our decadent dark chocolate ale. It's the, the purpose, the goal with this beer was to create something that, if you, if you get a good big whiff in the nose, it's, it's a chocolate bomb. But when you drink it, it drinks like a beer. It's not, it's not heavy, thick, sweet. It's not a one-and-done type beer. You could put a few of these back, and it's 5%. So... Um, we, we work with a local company that makes a proprietary chocolate flavoring for us. We start with a, a porter as a base for that beer. It's got a little bit of coffee and chocolate malt in it. But, um, yeah, this, this local company is what really gives it that punch. And we inject that post-fermentation um, after we harvest the yeast. Uh, it did win a bronze medal at GABF in 2014 for chocolate beer. So... It, got to be somewhat good. <laughs> um, 
yeah, so that is our chocolate dessert beer. Uh, anybody have any questions for me about that? Wait, let's, we got to get you on the mic. How big, how big of a batch do you, uh, do you work on when you're experimenting? I mean. uh, those are all four barrel batches. And uh, it's, it's really nice because it functions as an R&D lab and it's like straight to the consumer and it's immediate feedback. Um, yeah, it's, it's always a four barrel batch. So that, that is, I'll yield somewhere between seven to eight half barrel kegs around like 120 gallons is what I'll get out of that one. And then on our 20 barrel system downtown, uh, we've only got two 20 barrel fermenters, then we've got some 60s, we've got some 80s, and we've got some 150s. So in order to fill those 150s, that is two full days of brewing into the same tank, uh, which will soon be cut in half with our new 50 hectoliter brown pound. Yes? Do you end up like putting like 125 gallons of beer down the drain? If, uh... the, the, only, uh, the only one that ever went down the drain is I made a mango wheat beer that is actually doing very well right now. Just won a gold medal for wheat beer at the, I'll come back around front, sorry, um, at the Atlantic City Beer Festival. And that one, uh, it's not a production friendly beer and they wanted me to try and figure out how to replicate it, making it easier. Because what I do is I, I add um, a fruit puree post-fermentation. So that's a little scary. But uh, so we tried using flavorings and adding mango hot side. It just didn't come through the same. So as it turns out, we ended up doing it my way after all. So that, that's the beer that went down the drain. And uh, now we use flash pasteurization to take it up to 180 degrees and then right back down to 32. It'll kill any living organisms in it. The, so the yeast will not eat that fructose and ferment it, turn it funky, make bottles pop open, stuff like that. Any other questions? I think it's a gorgeous beer. It's served a little cold, so it's hard to get all those aromatics. And as it warms up in your hand, we're getting more. But for 5% alcohol, there's so much flavor in this beer, for sure. Right, yeah. And what, I mean, what, what, what uh, have you discovered about chocolate introductions and getting those flavor notes? It's almost like chocolate pudding on the nose to me. I mean, really, it's so, it's so flavorful with that. But how do you achieve that? That's... Uh... That's our, that's our local that's friendly business that uh, creates that proprietary blend for us. It's, uh, it's real big on the nose, and I mean, what, what do they say? You taste 70% with your nose or something like that? So, uh, yeah, that's how that works. So you're basically not answering the question. What, what was that's the, okay. What was, the, what was, what was I, I don't, I'm giving you a hard time. How do I get it in there? Yeah, I mean, just okay. how, how are you introducing? Yeah. Okay, so after fermentation takes place, and the, we have done the bright drop, and I'm able to, we're harvesting the yeast out of the beer. Uh, we use a brink, which is what people use to harvest yeast. Uh, it's, it's basically a keg that's been uh, cut open, welded, it has attachments, so you can hook it right up to the tank. So we will put the flavoring into a brink and inject it into the beer with carbon dioxide to push it and then let it sit there for like five days and work its magic and carbonate and keg it. Direct mainline infusion yes, is what you're saying. Yes, we mainline it. 
All right, we have another beer too, um, when you're ready for it. It's called the Row Hotel. It's a, it's right near the convention center. I have not been there yet, but it, it, well, it used to be a hotel. It's now being redeveloped and repurposed into condos. So we're going to have 70 units living upstairs from us. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Grand Rapids is a hot spot. <laughs> so I think we can get beer three Yeah, going. you guys ready for the second beer? Okay, so the story with this next beer, because obviously Atwater has made more than 100 batches, uh, this, this was a beer that I, I made at the church. That's what we call it, the church. The brew house on the altar. You know, Jesus is standing there saying, here's your brew house, so... It's kind of cool. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so I wanted to do something special for my 100th batch. And my idea, we, as a kid, I always went to this restaurant up in St. Clair, Michigan, that made a hell of a Bananas Foster. And I wanted to make that into a beer. So what I did with this beer, is there, are we getting a little feedback? I don't know. Okay. Um, so what I did with this beer is I made an imperial brown ale was my, was my, the base. I used a bunch of caramel malts, a bunch of honey malt for the sweetness. I used brown sugar in it because, um, I, well, not because, but brown sugar doesn't ferment as well as, say, dextrose or some other sugar. You get a whole lot of residual sweetness, like molassesy caramel flavors from it, and you put that in a bananas foster so why not put it in the beer and so I as that beer was fermenting I had I I faked a rum barrel I faked it what I did is I I, I put uh, some oak cubes they're these just like one centimeter by one centimeter cubes into a food grade mesh bag dropped it inside of a corning keg which is uh, like a, a home brewer tool people use it's a little five gallon keg, uh, and I dumped a bunch of rum in it, and I let them sit for about a month. So the, the wood, really, the oak soaked up that spiced rum flavor, which is an integral part of a Bananas Foster. So once fermentation was done, I sent this beer into a secondary fermenter with the bag of cubes, and just like we do with the chocolate, I mainlined a little bit of banana and vanilla flavoring into it. So that is the, what this beer is. Imperial Brown Bananas Foster Ale. I would love to try it because I haven't even had it in a while. <laughs> it, uh, we actually, the, the great thing is um, we released this beer on December 19th. I know this very well because my first daughter, who is now five months old, was born on the 17th. And after our first stop, our first stop was home after the hospital on that day. Then we went to the, the brewery because my plan was to launch that beer that day all along. So I took her up onto the brew platform in front of everybody and I did a little uh, like Simba moment, yeah, like, <laughs> and introduced her to all of our customers on a Saturday night, which also happened to be my birthday. So it was, yeah. <laughs> so it, it, was, it was a pretty epic evening. Um, I need a glass of this. Is this it? Oh, shoot. I got to drink the chocolate first. I got to drink the chocolate first. 
All right, let's do the batch 100, yeah. Yeah, I know, there's, yeah, on those hot days, sometimes I look at the water and I'm like, do I want a water or do I want a mango wheat? Sometimes a mango wheat goes down a lot better. Um, any questions about this beer that I might be able to answer for you? Yes, wait, wait, we gotta get you on the mic. When you said put uh, banana and vanilla flavor in the injection, did you use banana or did you do flavoring, make a syrup or a, okay? Yeah, it was a, a banana flavoring by our, our friendly company that we love to work with that does great things for us. So, same guys. Good. Oh, that's great to hear. Imperial Brown Bananas Foster Ale. Yes. Batch 100. Because it was the 100th batch brewed at the church. Uh, aged... I left it on the oak for two and a half months. Yeah. You get it on the nose real big, the banana. You put the oak in in secondary? After Correct, yes. Racked into secondary, bag of, uh, yeah, two and a half months in secondary. Um, Brad. Yes, sir. How did the rum flavor get in there? I, oh, you missed that. I no, I heard the oak. Did you? Was it I soaked, soaked in rum? The, I, I put the oak in a mesh bag in a corny with rum, let it sit for about a month, and then pulled that bag out and threw it in the secondary. What kind of rum? I'm trying to trick him. I'm trying to find out, or I'm trying to test him here. Uh, whatever the cheapest handles were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was a dark spiced rum. I'm also getting a little grippiness on the tongue, some of those tannins from those oak chips. Like, I get not just the sense of rum, but the, the oak... Yeah, the oak shines through very strong. ...lent some mouthfeel to this beer. This beer has so many layers. It's, it's pure genius. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a forklift there. I don't have any of these luxuries that most breweries have. So um, I've, I've done a, a couple barrel-aged, truly... I've done a few... Actually, three different barrel-aged beers with, um, actually I used, it was a Two James barrel. Two James is a distillery in Corktown, uh, an old Irish district of Detroit. So they gave me one of their barrels, and when I was pulling those things out of the barrel, I was using one of my old home brewer, like, pump uh, siphons just to get it out. So I think I'm done with barrels there. <laughs> and the cubes work great. Anybody got a question for me? All right. I, I got one. Yes. Sorry, one more. Yes. When you test this beer, is this something that you got this on the first try? Yes. <laughs> just, just drop the microphone now. That's... <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, it worked out. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yes. Wait. Microphone. So you're a big fan of using... Your fruit puree when you're experimenting or I wouldn't say I'm a big fan it's actually really a pain in the butt (laughs) (laughs) Um, but the like with that mango beer for example it just it it adds this extra body and a a real mango flavor without um, what's what am I what am I trying to say here um it, it adds to the beer, and it doesn't ferment, and it, it just, it works. But I'm not going to do it again. 
<laughs> Anybody else? Yeah, oh, yes, I'm coming over. Have you tried to do the banana flavor using like yeasts or something like that, or just just with additive flavor? Um, that's a that's a good. No, I, I have not. I mean, I could have used like a, a Hef strain or a, a, a Belgian strain, but I just the California ale is super clean, and I knew if I did it this way, it would work. And the other way. It's kind of a shot in the dark, yeah. Well, the other way, you might get a lot of clove, too, which might right, contrast right. a bit. Yeah. Which, yeah, that would have been detrimental to the beer. All right, I think I should hand this over to Ilan from Insight out of Minnesota. Well, actually, if you just want to keep it and run around... I, I'll be happy to do that. <laughs> nice. All right. You can let you stand on both sides of the room. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so... Uh, my name is Alan, uh, again, uh, founder of Insight Brewing out of Minneapolis. Uh, we're going to be jumping a little bit right now to the fruit side um, of the dessert beers. Uh, so what's being poured right now is a blackberry saison. Uh, the base of this actually just won bronze at the World Beer Cup. Woo! Uh, but we've been experimenting with a lot of different fruits with this saison. Uh, it lends itself really well. Uh, but before I get into the beer, I want to talk to you a little bit about who we are at Insight, what we do, how we got going, um, and, and why we brew what we brew. So for me, this all started back in 2007. Uh, I actually come from a classical music background, uh, so it's a little bit different than beer and entrepreneurialism, uh, and surprisingly less money still. But it's... Uh, it, it was a, a passion. That's, that's kind of how this started. Uh, but in 2007, I was visiting some family in Copenhagen, and by accident, and I was not a good beer drinker at this time. I was a beer drinker, um, just not, not of the, the same quality. But uh, in Copenhagen, I, was, I, I had tried a couple beers prior that, that kind of tested my, my idea of what beer is or what it could be. And... That turned into me going to Copenhagen, visiting family, having a list from Rate Beer on the top 50 beers in the world. Um, and I walked into a bottle shop, and it ended up actually being one of the best bottle shops, if not the best, in Copenhagen. Uh, so there's a little bit of chance there. But I went up and I asked for the number seven beer. It was the highest rated Danish beer, uh, assuming that they would have it. They did not. Uh, but they did have number one and that was the uh, West Vlederen 12, brewed by Belgian monks. You can only get it at the monastery. I just told you I got it in Denmark, so technically it was the black market. Um, and it was, at the time, it was a steal. It was $72 a six-pack. Um, in hindsight, it was a steal. Right now it's about 150 on eBay if you really want it. But I was in college, uh, so I bought two bottles, and... When I got back to the house, I, I popped one open, I tasted it, and it tasted like sunshine and birds chirping. Uh, it, was, it was truly, and I mean it, it was truly a beer that changed my life because I wanted from that point forward to learn about the world of beer. Everything, history, culture, techniques, process, everything. So I got back to the States and I started studying. I started reading textbooks, I started contacting breweries, joined a homebrew club, 
started homebrewing. And, uh, and I apologize, I've got beer in front of you and I'm talking about a story. I'll, I'll, I'll go faster. But, no, um, no, no, we got, an, we no, got another 30 is, minutes. This so. is a great story. We got 30 story. minutes? Okay. No, keep, keep rolling. Keep rolling. This Relax, is guys. We're going to be here a while. You, you got me hooked. You got me hooked. <laughs> so the beer was so good. I had to learn everything. I'm, I'm back in the States, uh, and my professors at the time saw the passion that I had. Uh, and they asked me to apply for a fellowship called the Watson Fellowship. And, and what that is is offered through IBM. And they pay for you to travel around the world post-graduation studying what you're passionate about. It could be anything. The whole point of this is to let people go out, push themselves further than they normally would, and, 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 and go to more unique places, but study something you're passionate about, and they want to kind of build people who can become leaders. So I wanted to study beer. And uh, I started contacting breweries, uh, found out that not everybody's super excited to have a, a young kid come and, and, and work for them. Uh, so it took about a couple hundred breweries to get four that would take me on as an apprentice. Um, and it, it, it was tough, but it took about a year and a half of planning to set up this year of travel. So I ended up finding breweries in England, Japan, uh, and Denmark uh, to be able to work with me. Uh, the fourth one actually ended up uh, changing ownership, uh, so I ended up finding another brewery in Denmark to work with. But um, I wrote all my essays, I became a finalist for the fellowship, and then I lost. Um, and that, that, was, that, was, that was depressing for about an hour, um, mostly for the money. That, that, that would have been nice. They would have given me $25,000. Um, so I said, okay, well, I've, I've obviously put a lot of work into this. Uh, this isn't something that comes around all the time where you can actually go and work with places. So I said, I'm going to go anyways. And I contacted all the breweries, and I asked if I could work a little bit harder for a place to stay in a meal. Uh, and luckily, they said yes. So I ended up leaving with about $3,400 um, and no plane ticket home and said, fuck it, I'm going to make it work. Sorry, this, this is, I apologize, this is being recorded. Um, but Please, it's fine. So, all right. Um, and that started out, I picked hops in England, I worked at the Fuller's Brewery in London, uh, Kiyuchi Brewery in Japan doing sake and beer, went back to Denmark, worked at Fenu. Uh, then I got hired on as a head brewer, totally under the table, uh, at Sugard's Brewing. Uh, and then I biked throughout Belgium and France, visiting breweries, wineries, called the whole trip Bike for Beer, um, because that's the most efficient form of transportation to actually see the landscape, and it's the cheapest. So that's how I got around the world. I came back, and there's, there's no way that you don't start a brewery at this point. So... The whole premise of the brewery is we bring the world of beer back. And what we do at Insight is we also bring a local legend back. So with all of our beers, we'll have uh, a little legend to go along with, with the beer itself. And it took a few years to plan, um, but we finally opened up in 2014. And we've been open about a year and a half now. So the beer we're drinking is our Blackberry Saison. Uh, we use a boatload of blackberry to go into this. Uh, it costs more than the beer itself, but it gives it a really nice hue. 
It's actually relatively dry because the tartness, the blackberry, helps balance out against the sweetness of the Saison. But it still comes off on the sweeter side because you get that kind of, that, that punch of blackberry right in the beginning. But it's very fresh. Do you guys have any thoughts on the beer? Oh, I just, well, re rewind to what about, uh, what was your cost? blackberry <laughs> cost more than the beer itself? That's correct. That's a great business plan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're for gonna, the people, for the people. Yeah, it's, it's something to where, I, I've come to the realization that you should, if, if you can make a good beer, if you can make a beer that tastes the way you want it to, make it, and then price it where you have to so that you can at least make a little bit of money. And if people don't buy it, then don't make it again. But if people do buy it, charge more. <laughs> well done. So questions into the microphone, if you can. Do you boil the fruit, or do you add this in secondary as well? Uh, this is a fruit to where we're going to add it actually at the, at, uh, the end of fermentation. Uh, as we found, as we add fruit at the end of fermentation, we retain a lot more of the aromatics. Um, we've, we've got a beer at our booth right now. It's our Hell Chicken Pale Ale. Uh, it uses Japanese yuzu fruit. Um, and as we started out, we actually put that in right at the end of the boil when we started the brewery. And we, it turned out to be the absolute best-smelling fermentation that we had ever. And I was almost crying every day because I'm thinking, if you're smelling something, that means that's something coming out of the beer. Um, and it, was, it smelled great, but you, you lost so much by the time it actually was fully fermented that when you add it a little bit later, uh, you retain quite a bit more. What, what's the poundage per liquid volume of the blackberries. I know the number on the next beer. Uh, <laughs> Ballpark this, this beer, us. This beer, I would say it's going to be somewhere around a half pound of blackberries per pint of beer. That's insane. Wait till you hear his next one. <laughs> the next one's more. So how do you, uh, in what form do these blackberries go in post-fermentation? We, we get a concentrated juice. Uh, we've got a supplier that they use a vacuum uh, concentrator so that the fruit's never heated, uh, and that retains a lot more of the freshness of the fruit. So you can actually get... Um, it's, it's not like the concentrate you get in the stores for making juice at home. Uh, this stuff is... Um, I always ask for samples so we can always try stuff out and put it on ice cream. It's, it's pretty nice. But... Um, it is, it is like the freshest blackberry that I've ever tasted when I've tried this juice. Um, and, and this company does a lot of different, uh, different fruits that they work with. So I, I asked for a lot of variety of fruits to get with tests, and we tested with about 12 of them so far. And we've only used, let's see, three, um, because they just work the best. So there's the blackberry here. Um, Actually, the next one's not from the same company. Uh, the next one's a Door County Cherry from Wisconsin. Um, I grew up in Minnesota. You should be getting your cherries from Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> I got M people. M Michigan ma has good cherries. 
that's, that's, that's a fair point. The good cherries in Michigan. But Dirk County is smaller, so it means it's better. And shipping's got to be less. That's true. Uh, but the other, the other one that we found from this other company was Raspberry. And I hate to say it, it's way more expensive than Blackberry. But this, beer. this beer is something that it, it really does work as a dessert because it, you can have this with a lot of different foods uh, and it, w- it would taste really good. But sitting, sitting down on a, I was going to say a nice couch, which you're doing right now, um, and, and sipping on something that is kind of as, as potent. I like that word because there's a lot of flavor impact from this beer. But it's usually when you have a dessert, you're looking for flavor impact, typically. You're looking for something that you can have a relatively small amount of, maybe not all the time, uh, but something that you can eat small bites of and and get a whole lot of flavor. Uh, So that's what our goal was on this beer, is is not to make it a a pintable beer, but to make it something that you drink five, six, maybe even eight ounces of it, um, and it's something you can really enjoy. Who's got questions for Ilan? I've got a mic, and I'm mobile. All right. Moving on to the next one. <laughs> next beer. <laughs> Too easy. It's fantastic. It really is, yeah. So the next one uh, is our, it's called Doe Eyes. This is our Door County Cherry version. Uh, this one, we use a full pound per pint of Door County Cherries. It's by far our most expensive beer that we've ever made. Uh, but it is so worth it. This is a beer that uh, when we do our test batches for this, at least earlier on, we did one, it was about 10 gallons at a time. And when we came out with this the first time, every Saturday we have a, a new beer release that we test out in our tap room. And the first time we had this one, it was gone in, I think it was about 45 minutes. So, and that's 10 gallons, so that's about, uh, what is that, 80, 80 pints, somewhere around there. So that was gone in 45 minutes. And we said, okay, that's, that, that's the best one we've done so far. Um, let's keep going with all the rest of the beers we've got lined up, and let's bring this one back, and let's just check it. Let's make sure that it's going to do the same thing. So we brought it back, and when we publicized it, we found out that we had people lining up in the tap room, whooping and hollering and cheering that it was going on tap at 5 o'clock. That's what we do. Um, and it was my first pinch-me moment where I said, hell, this is... We might have something here. Um, and that one was gone in about 20 minutes. We brought it back a third time, and it was gone in six minutes. And we said, okay, let's, let, let's just let's make some more. So then we brought it up to the commercial system, uh, and that's where we are today. We've only released it once commercially, which was last year in August. Uh, but this year, we've got a Doe-Eyes Day. We're having a festival around the beer uh, in our parking lot where we'll have bands... Um, the, the, the bottle release of this beer um, and, and some tricycle races. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But this, this one gives you a little bit more of the tartness of the cherry, and that's the nice thing is, is bre- brewers know this, but when you use cherries going into beer, you don't want to use the sweet cherry because it comes off a bit as cough syrup. 
but if you use the tart cherry, you can still get the sweetness, but the tartness really helps to balance it out. Uh, and in here, we need the tartness to balance it out because there's so much cherry character in this beer. Uh, it's 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 kind of similar. I don't know if anyone's had it, but the uh, New Glarus Belgian Red. This is kind of within the same vein of the the potency, I guess, if you could say that, of the the cherry profile. Pounds per barrel in this? I mean, pounds per pounds pint? per pint. It, yeah, we use pounds per pint. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but it is a full pound per pint. We got fifteen thousand pounds of uh, Dura County cherries for this. That's crazy. <laughs> It's just impressive. So do you, do you blend the cherries or squish them, or do they come squished? This is another one where we, um, we, we talk to our supplier. In fact, we're the biggest uh, uh, user from our supplier of, of their cherries. They sell juice, and, and we went to them and said, hey, could you, could you help us out here? Because I don't want to really throw 15,000. I don't think they'd fit um, in our tank. But... Uh, we asked them if they could juice them for us. They did. Uh, and then they also had a concentrator, so they were able to take some of the water out, and that's how we injected it in. So it, it, it's like a, a super shot of steroids for, for cherry to the beer. Mainlined. Yeah. <laughs> Why'd you name it Doe Eyes? So this one... Um, Doe Eyes is, it's a, um, more of a Wisconsin legend. Uh, it's, it's mostly of, it's kind of like being caught with deer in the headlights, except it's of a beautiful woman when you get caught in the gaze of her eyes. So this was a beer that we figured would fit very well with that legend. It's almost like the siren uh, being caught into the rocks. This is, this is like the Doe Eyes of, of getting caught in the, feeling like a deer in the headlights when you look into the eyes of a beautiful woman. I like that. What else we got? More questions. Come on. Bring them on. Actually, a question for all three of you. So is there any beer in particular that you think is more technically challenging to do, that you know you love the outcome, but you kind of, when you have to approach it, is a little bit harder than some of the other ones, you know, something that, you know, you know you're going to love at the end, but that, you know, it's technically a little bit harder to dial in or, you know, go through the process of. I can start with that one if you guys are okay. Um, working on the, the little pilot system, putting a this much, like, a five-gallon bucket of puree or something in, is a whole lot easier than pumping it in from 55-gallon drums in the big system. So uh, I don't know that my coworkers enjoy what I do because I do not make production-friendly beers. <laughs> um, where am I? Is that? I think that's. Did I answer that? Yeah. yeah. So it's. Yeah, I can do things by hand where they have to use forklifts and tools and things like that. Well, I'll, I'll jump in super quickly. We do have to pump in from 55-gallon drums. Um, <laughs> Not fun. And everyone hates me for it. <laughs> but no, it's, it, it's something to where we, we've, we try to always find the easiest way to do something. And easiest is a nice word because it's positive, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's easy. Sadly, I'm on the other end of this. 
you guys. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You guys. So um, when you scallop a beer that uses really unique ingredients like spices, purees, flavor additives, you know, like we've mentioned, you know, it's not just as easy as taking a five-gallon bucket and dumping it in. You have to come up with clever ways uh, for scale so you can't exactly make, you know, a 30-foot tall, you know, a batch of Gatorade by merely filling it up with water and dumping in Gatorade mix in the top. Somehow you have to mix it. And so then you have to come up with very clever ways to introduce these flavors in a series of flexible impeller pumps, uh, inert gases pushing in things to inject them in line, or getting them on the transfer. And then uh, I feel like that's where the scaling creativity juices flow um, that really makes it unique. And the other thing that is always nervous is uh, when you have more spices and uh, things of that nature, sometimes they don't scale quite linearly. So especially with things with uh, oil contents, so like orange rinds, uh, for me, have been notoriously difficult to scale because the oil content of the rind that has the uh, flavor in it uh, isn't always consistent between each lot. And then uh, getting that amount in there correctly is also quite difficult. So there's a lot of interesting challenges that are, in my eyes, are, I love to tackle them. That's, that's, what, that's why I wake up in the morning to figure out, how do we, how do, we do this today? This is going to be interesting. So a lot of cool ideas happen on that level. I don't have anything to say. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys have fun? Yes. Nice. Awesome. Thank you for being with us. Yeah. Done. No, you don't no, need to wrap up. Absolutely not. Uh, did you have a question over there that was spurred? on it? Thank you. Um, so, sort of the difference, I guess, between like beer as dessert or beer with dessert, like the pairing that we had. Big Storm was really good with the duel, um, and then like your beers were desserts by themselves. This beer, you said you think about people eating with this. When you come up with ideas like this, do you think of something you're like, I want to have this with? chocolate or with cheese or with something like that or like where do you kind of start like your bananas foster origin story was great and so like with that kind of stuff is it all just sort of a one-off thing or do you think about pairings when you do this or like I guess the difference between having something that is a dessert by itself or having it with dessert or something like that. yeah I'll, I'll start this one off I feel like um, every brewer's got their own uh, creative origins um, mine is always I always go out uh, into the local area and find that local thing that really makes that area unique. So we got Florida oranges. Uh, there's also a lot of hibiscus products, hibiscus tea in South Florida. And so then I kind of take notice of, you know, what is everyone locally drinking and what are they always pairing it with? Or what are the common cuisines? And I always approach it like that. So obviously, you know, I think that was just so cool that we ended up with octopus with our pairing, uh, with our beer on the floor, because that's, you know, fish is very local to Florida, obviously, because we're surrounded by water. Uh, so, you know, I always go with what's being served locally uh, that's common. And then I really like the idea of making a beer for the people. These are for my neighbors, like, Hey, man, you make some great barbecue, and you also make some phenomenal grilled, you know, steaks. 
So let's make a beer for that, and then you just kind of let it go organically from there, and then you end up with something wonderful. For me, it was it was actually a little bit of uh, I guess I could call it chance. Um, so I had I was out, and I I tasted a kombucha that used Dora County cherries, and I said man, that's good. And I'm like, I need to make a beer that tastes like this. Um, and I sourced the ingredients. I found out where to get the cherries. And then I remembered why I like Door County cherries so much, which are better than Michigan cherries. Um, <laughs> but Not true. <laughs> well, maybe. I don't know. No. <laughs> but, I, but I remembered that my parents would go to the local co-op and they would buy five-gallon buckets of cherries that we would just eat when I was a kid. And they were, they were really, really good. And I think we made some jam, I think we made some syrup, uh, but we ate Door County cherries. Um, and, 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 and in hindsight now, I remember when I tasted that kombucha, it was kind of sparking a memory that I had before, something that, that reminded me what I liked and how I liked it so much. Um, and, and that just got my creative juices flowing to want to figure out what other characters can I get into a Saison like this that can, that can really push it to a, a different level and, and get me excited, but also get other people excited to try it. So I don't really think about anything else other than what I want to make as the next cool, crazy, fun thing. Uh, I also, I do have a, we have a restaurant at our location, so I, I leave that up to the chef. Um, he and I will, at, when, I, when I have a beer, when it's done, when it's ready, I'll go to him and I'll say, let's launch this with something, let's pair it. Um, we'll kind of hash it out together, but I, I make sure he is the, the creative force as I am with the beer, and that's, that's how we work on that. Um, like the, the bananas foster ale, like I said, uh, that, was, that was just bringing something back from my childhood that I wanted to turn into a beer. Um, I did another wacky one just recently, actually. Um, so my, my daughter, who is five and a half months old now, um, since we have a church, we decided, all right, oh, here, we'll go back, back in time, back in time. Um, the pastor that married... Me and my wife, his son is a brewer, a head brewer at another local brewery. So he put me in touch with his son, and that was like, we tasted beers together, he liked what I did, um, Dragon Mead, I'm gonna, I gotta give them a shout out, they're fantastic, they do great things, um, and they taught me a wealth of knowledge. Um, so Eric called me out of the blue one day and said, hey, I need a brewer, can you come in and meet with the owners. So I said, okay. So I showed up with the six pack of home brews that I made and then they hired me on the spot. Um, so, so the Harms family has been good and close to us a long time. So I approached Pastor Harms and I said, I want to baptize my daughter in the brew kettle. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, yeah. <laughs> So we did it on a Saturday morning before service, and uh, I saved that water, and on Monday I made a beer with it. 
So she's, she's getting teeth, she's gumming, and my wife, you know, they, they, the, the old wife's tale is just put a little liquor on their gums, it'll, it'll help take the pain away. And my wife wanted to give her some eight-year Tennessee whiskey. I'm like, she's not going to like whiskey. Give her Grand Marnier. So we gave her Grand Marnier. I, oh, this is being recorded. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, what I wanted to do with that beer is I made a strong, dark Belgian ale, uh, 25 Play-Doh, which is like the highest beer. I, it was off my hydrometer. I actually had to like pull out a tape measure and measure millimeters, and I think it was 25 Play-Doh. Um, so, uh, so I made I made this strong Belgian, but I spun it through orange orange peel, bitter orange peel, because that's a key ingredient of Grand Marnier. And I'm gonna I'm gonna soak it on cubes by themselves. Uh, to, to fake a, a Grand Meunier-influenced beer for her baptism beer. Anybody? <laughs> yes, we got a question. <laughs> Sorry, super quick follow-up question to yours. Wait, wait. Hang on, hang on. Here we go. Oh, uh, I was just going to ask, uh, do you ever... Um... <laughs> Yeah, right. I'm just too embarrassed. Okay. <laughs> I mean, she's overwhelmed by your story and, and romantic notion of baptism by beer. Wow, that's yeah. so cool. I want to, and we're kind of up at the almost end of time. I want to acknowledge our um, man in the black suit who brought it all back to the theme. Thank you, sir. Not singling you out, but in a good way. Hooray! Yeah. <laughs> I mean, beers as dessert, and beer is a part of the food arts world, and that's why we're all here at Savor. And like, wow, I mean, Big Sky and Insight and Atwater. How many of you guys didn't know any of these breweries before you walked in here tonight? So, like, look at this. This is a come on, be honest. You... <laughs> About maybe you know, not quite an eighth of the room, a third of the uh, third of the room raised your hands. But that's what this is all about. It's about getting to know, you know. Drinking and tasting outside of the box and really thinking outside of the box, trying new producers. And this is what's amazing about Savor and, and having you guys here from D.C. So I want to thank our brewers very much. You can taste their beers. Go straight down to their beers down in the hall. And um, thank you guys for attending Savor. And uh, have a good rest of your evening. It's been a great salon. You, want, you got one last thing. I got Go one ahead. more thing real quick. Because Batch 100 was such a limited, limited run. And I had to send a six barrel for this. Please fill up your glasses and drink it as you leave. Oh, yes. So the good yes. stuff's up here. All That's right. a special, special beer. Have a good evening, guys. Can we get a round of applause for all of our help that did a wonderful yes. job? Hooray, wonderful sure. job. Thank you. thank you guys so much. Julia, thank you. Thank you for listening to this recording from Savor 2016, brought to you by the Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio. You can find the rest of the salons from Savor 2016, as well as all of the salons from previous years of Savor, at craftbeerradio.com slash savor or on craftbeer.com. Craft Beer Radio is a weekly beer podcast that you can listen to on iTunes or from our website at craftbeerradio.com.